Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We just trust the Lord to bless his words to our heart. You know, everything's changing, church. Everything is changing in the world today. And these changes, they're not all great changes. And in fact, uh, immorality, iniquity, lawlessness, it seems to be growing day by day. We hear reports in the major cities in England of the knife assaults, gun uh, fights. And if you look around, it would depress you. But not just that. We know that these are signs of the Lord's imminent return. We read, uh, we, we've done this. Uh, hallelujah. Works better when you switch it on. There we go. The last days, it says this. Know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. And we know that. We spoke about this. We know that there'll be a falling away. We know that men will be lovers of their own selves. They'll be covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, with, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, uh, despisers of those that are good, traitors, had, uh, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, and they want a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. And it says, from such turn away. And when I thought about that, despisers of those that are good. We live in a society where people despise our stand for the word of God. And you could more or less say that Christians are not what you would call loved in society today. And I don't think ever in my memory of people or Christians being attacked uh, and being criticized uh, for everything uh, and for standing for the word of God. But you know something? We need to continue to trust God because God's love is unchanging. And that's the most important thing. The world may hate us. Jesus said the world will despise us. The world will persecute us. But the thing is that God's love is unchanging and we always have the love of God. You see, men today, they trust themselves and not God. They want to turn society away from the things of God. Men today are all me, 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 accepting only that which suits their own personal desires and their own lusts. And if you as a Christian challenge that, then you get, a, as we've said many times, they'll give you a negative label. Uh, just watching a, a clip the other day, and this gentleman is accusing Christians now of being Nazis. And he said, this is the word we now use. And he said, it'll stick with Christians. So that's what we are up against in the world. 
But again, we have the love of God, and that gives us strength. And in fact, you know, Jesus himself said, blessed are you and men shall persecute you for my name's sake. So rejoice in persecution. But God's love hasn't changed. And God's love for man has not and will not change. Because God loves those who trust in him. God knows those who trust in him. Not those who put their trust in themselves, not those who put their trust in other religions, but those who put their trust in him. You know, it says that God knows the very hair, the hairs on our head, they're, they're numbered. And that doesn't mean that God's counting the hairs on your head. He knows everything about you, and he loves you, and he is with you. And you know, when you look about society today, there is a notable difference between those who trust in religion or who trust in themselves and those who trust in God. And you know, we, we, we kind of look at this verse and let's put it in context. Paul was speaking at a time when many thought that their religious deeds and their sacrifices were enough to win them favor and to earn them salvation with their God. And even their, their, their wicked ways and, and their immoral ways and the iniquity that they lived in, they, they seen this was acceptable uh, to whatever God they served. And they believed it was enough to win them favor with their God. Or it was enough to bring them satisfaction and to bring them peace in their lives. Their works, as it were back then, were their testimony of how holy and how self-righteous they were. But you know something, church? A true believer is someone who absolutely and totally trusts in God for their salvation. Totally trusts in God for their salvation. Their hope and our hope this morning rests in Christ and Christ alone. One of the things from their affirmation, sola Christos, Christ and Christ alone. And so in Romans 8, Paul sees the need to encourage the church. And he encourages the church, and we want to be encouraged this morning, to be reminded that God loves us and nothing can stop God from loving us. Nothing can stop God from loving us. And I know some of you are thinking, oh, what about, just give me a moment, give me a moment. In Romans 8, 29, we read that those for whom he did foreknow. You see, we read about a people God foreknew. In other words, God already knew. He knew you in the womb. And although he knew you, and although he knew at, at times in your life your lack of desire to serve him, he loved you. You know, before you became a Christian, I know a lot of you here this morning grew up in this church, but before you actually committed your life to God, God knew all about you. God knows you're going in. God knows you're going out. God knows your strength. God knows your capabilities. And he loves you. And he loved you before you surrendered to him. That's us, the body of Christ, the church. We were loved even before time began. Before the uh, time began, God had a plan to redeem us and to save us. And that's us, the church. That's you and that's me. Then he tells us in verse 29 that believers uh, were predestinated. He also predestinated uh, them to be conformed to the image of his son. 
You see, predestination also took place before time. This was God's plan and God's will as he looked down through time that you and I might become the image of his son. Even though he knew us, even though he he knew how those of us that, that walked in the world for a while, God knew us, God still loved us, and God still had a plan and a purpose for us. Spurgeon, he said, I'm so glad that God chose me before he saw me because if he waited till he saw me, he might not have wanted me. And, and you know, when he, that's from a sermon that, that Spurgeon preached and he's more or less saying that the, the, God knew the life that he lived, but God saw something in him that, that God could use. He sees something in you that he can use and you are loved by God. I will say I'm not a Calvinist. I believe that God, all men can be saved and not just the chosen few. My own personal opinion, uh, and that is uh, all can be saved, whosoever will, for me means anybody who will obey and follow the Lord. But I believe every believer has been predestinated to be his children. There was a plan for you. God loved you so much that he had a plan for you in your life. And therefore, You are his children. And whenever we surrender to him, whenever we trust to him, he can fulfill that plan in our lives. And he can use you in that area that he wants to use you. He can use your strengths. He can use your abilities. He can use your talents when you trust totally in him. That's the predestined plan for the church, to be the image of the Lord Jesus Christ and to serve him where he wants us to serve him. Then he talks about in verse 30. He says, For whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Them he also called. That means all of them. He called. God calls each and every man. And it's up to each and every man whether to receive that salvation and trust in the Lord or whether to reject that salvation which God is giving them. God gives, I believe, every man an opportunity to come to him to seek forgiveness for their sins. And the responsibility, therefore, is on every man. God rejects no one. Men reject God. You know, someone asked, if he's such a loving God, why does he send men to hell? Well, I disagree. God doesn't send men to hell. Men send themselves to hell because they reject God. They send themselves to a lost eternity, not because God wanted them to go there, but because they refuse to acknowledge him. And therefore, he calls each and every man, and he's calling you this morning, and he's calling you to come on to him. Those of you who have not surrendered to him, he's calling you to come on to him and to trust in him for your salvation. He then goes on to say that those uh, whom he called, he also justified So just how many of the called are justified? All of them. All of them. When God calls you and you surrender to him, you are justified in his sight. Uh, What does it mean to be justified? Well, it means to acquit. It means to take away all charges. And for believers, it means that all charges against them have been dropped. Do you remember the illustration I used about a criminal record if you go to court? There's no criminal record. There's no sin record. I've heard people talk about, you know, when they stand before God and God will bring out this book and all their sins will be listed in it. Well, I don't see that because I'll stand before God clothed in the righteousness of Christ. My sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west. I am justified by the precious blood of the Lamb of God this morning. God justifies us. 
No one can, can come to you and, and, and the world, as I've said, rejects us. The world doesn't want us. The world will accuse us. Well, Paul goes on to assure us there in verse 33, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. It is God that justifieth. So he calls us and he justifies us. Then he discovers that uh, again in verse 30, it says, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Again, all his children, all who come to him, he glorifies them. He glorifies them, all of them, each and every one of them. You see, church, it's a done deal. It's settled. It was God's plan. It cannot be changed. We are called, we are justified, and we are glorified. And that means we are saved. He is the God who sees the end from the beginning. And God sees redemption as already accomplished. And we need to get that into our heads this morning. There are a lot of Christians, and they still think that, you know, what about this sin? And what about I did when I was 17? And what about I, what I said when I was 30? We are redeemed. Salvation has been accomplished. And he sees us as already glorified. Now, glorified, it doesn't mean that we are now wonderful and we are now to be admired. We're not stars as the world would see it. It means we're glorified in that we are redeemed. We are set free and we are forgiven. It means that we are released this morning from the penalty of sin by the precious blood of the Lamb of God. If you're struggling with that this morning, be assured that you are released from sin by the precious blood of the Lamb of God. I've told you before, uh, Bobby Clulo, I remember going to see him in hospital. And one thing he struggled with you know, is past sins. And just sitting with him and talking with him and assuring him that all this was covered by the precious blood. Not some of his sins. Not just the sins he's committed this week. But all of the sins. The ones in the past. The ones in the present. The, and even the ones in the future. We are covered from the penalty of sin by the precious blood of the Lamb of God. One commentator said, in biblical language, this is called a prophetic past tense. In other words, it is accomplished. It is accomplished. And that's the difference between our, our beliefs and other religions. Our salvation has been accomplished. We do not need to acquire it in some other way. We do not need to commit some great deed. We do not need to give some, uh, all, all of our money to make some big sacrifice. Our salvation has been accomplished. Uh, it has been you know, done, covered, sealed, and no more needs to be done. No more needs to be done. The fact of salvation is accomplished. It's in the mind of God. And we need to think and understand the mind of God towards us if we're struggling with that. Know this morning, in God's eyes, if you've sought forgiveness, if you've repented from your sins, and you've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, in God's eyes, you are saved. You are set free. You are forgiven. That is a certainty. That is a reality. And think about it as God would see you. You know, I think, if, if I let my mind wander, God looks upon me, I'm, I wonder why on earth he saved me, let alone put me into the ministry. But you know something? That's these eyes. That's the old carnal man trying to put us down. But I look and try and see and God sees us. And the fact is, my salvation, your salvation this morning is accomplished. No one can change it. Do you remember the song the choir used to sing? The world didn't give it to me and the world can't take it 
away. That's our salvation. Human reasoning can't comprehend us. Jesus looks at us and he sees a child of God. He sees a child of God. He sees the fact that we have eternal life in him. We have an eternity ahead of us and it's an eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. When he looks at us and he sees us, he knows that he will see us in eternity, not because we're good people, but because he paid our price and granted unto us our salvation and freedom from sin. So how can we help men and women and tell them that God is calling them? God is calling them that they might know the love of Christ. Because I've spoke to people and they can't understand God's love. I've heard people say to me, why would God love someone like me? Why would God release someone like me from what I have done? I spoke to a guy in the prison and that was his, his, not his excuse, but his thought. He couldn't just accept that Jesus would love him. And trying to explain that, I mean, you can't use human reasoning. And you just have to trust God and tell these people that God, Jesus, died on the cross for their sins. And it doesn't matter if you've stole a pound or stole a million pound. It's a sin, but God's blood covers them both. No, no sin's too great for God. You know, there's not a degree of sinnership. And I've heard people talk about this. There, you know, it's not too bad if, you know, you only did this here. Sin is sin. It doesn't matter if it's a wee sin, if it's a big sin. It takes you into a lost eternity. You need forgiveness. And there's no grades. God's love, God's blood covers all our sin. We need to teach, or teach and preach the gospel of Christ crucified in this world today because that's the good news, the good news of his death on the cross, of his resurrection, of his ascension, and his imminent return to rule and to reign on earth. We need to let people know that it was by his substitutionary sacrifice, the one that only the true, almighty, all-powerful, invincible, unstoppable, supreme, omnipotent Savior died for our sins, and that covers the cost. Church this morning and Christ, we are not guilty. We are not guilty. If you were in a court and they were just about to pass sentence, they can't pass sentence on you because you are not guilty. We are glorified in Christ. Glorified not because we're a good person, not definitely because we deserved to be saved. We didn't. You know, I've said it many times, the old Scottish proverb, God is better to the worst of us than the best of us deserve. None of us deserve it. But God, in his love and mercy, chose to be your substitute on the cross. And you as a child of God are saved. Although we're saved, uh, we still have this fight within us. Read Romans 7. We still have this fight within us against sin. And we have, as we said at the start, this fight with the world, and we're highlighted for us in Romans 6. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You see, despite our wrestlings, our trials, and our tribulations in this life, despite that which may come against us, let us assure ourselves, let us encourage one another that we are saved, that we are saved. You know, Martin Luther, 
said, a Christian is always a sinner, always a penitent, yet always right with God. Now, you have to hear the sermon of what Martin Luther said here. And he wasn't saying that we're all sinners and we can't be saved. What he's using here is, is that old man still in us. And, it, and we always need to be a penitent. We always need to repent before God. And we, you know, we can't sort of hedge around this fact that we have this ability within us to do wrong. No matter how good a Christian we think we are, pride can come in. A wee bit of jealousy can sneak in. A wee bit of gossip can sneak in. A wee bit of discord and, oh, we didn't really mean that. But the thing is, it can sneak in. And we need to be aware of it and we need to be repentant before the Lord. But Martin Luther isn't saying that you are still a sinner when you're saved. You know, that song, I think it's the Gaithers released it, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You're not. That should be, I was a sinner, but I'm saved by grace. You're a child of God. Brenda pointed out there the other week, you are uh, referred to as a saint. Now, that's not a title. That means you're holy, you're living for the Lord. doesn't mean that uh, some bishop somewhere has given you this wonderful title and you're going to get a halo. It means that you are a child of God. You're not a sinner. Don't look upon yourself as a sinner. That's a beautiful song with beautiful meaning, but I really would like them to change the words to, I was a sinner, but I'm saved by grace. This is what God wants us to do. We need to ignore those who incorrectly teach us that we can be perfect. We need to ignore them. Perfection uh, will only come when this mortal will put on immortality. Read 1 Corinthians 15. When this corruptible will put on incorruption. When will that happen? Read 1 Corinthians 15 for yourself. It's when the Lord returns. When this corruptible will put on incorruption. Yes, we're saved. Yes, we're children of God. Yes, we've been called. Yes, we've been justified. Yes, we've been glorified. But we need to be wary that that old man is still in there and will continue in there till the Lord returns and the Lord gives us, uh, and we really do become that new creature in him. Note in our passage of Scripture, the, we have what one preacher I heard called he, he Christianity. In other words, he foreknew us. He predestinated us. He called us. He justified us. He glorified us. That is the good news this morning. The gospel is all about Jesus and what Jesus did. It's about Jesus dying on the cross. It's about Jesus being resurrected. It's about Jesus ascending into heaven. It's about Jesus sending his spirit to dwell among us, to strengthen us, to empower us as we live in these last days. It's about him. He will return one day in glory, and we will spend eternity with him. What a wonderful assurance we have this morning. Jesus did it all. He paid it all. And there's no more that we can do to add to our salvation. Some try to take Paul's phrase, work out your salvation. In other words, you have to do things to earn the salvation. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's talking about working, uh, well, I think the easiest way to explain it is what Paul is saying is it's not salvation by works, but uh, salvation produces works. Works don't produce salvation. That's the best way to put it. And I believe that's what Paul's talking about. Because we are saved, and because God has done this for us, we should be living totally for him. God looks after us, and God cares for us. 
And it says in Romans 8, 31, what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Church, who can be against us? Don't fear the world. I mean, you know, I spoke this morning about what they're trying to do. And, and you know yourselves, you're watching the news. You know what's going on in the world. We should not be fearful for those that come against us because God is for us. God is for us. Who can be against us? God, in other words, is going to do all these things for us. Why? Because he loves us. We belong to God. We are predestined to belong to God. We are called to belong to God. And we are justified till we belong to God. And we're glorified that we belong to God. Who can be against us? And notice that little pronoun. We're a really great word today, isn't it? Pronouns. That little one, us. The us are those whom he loved. Those whom he predestinated, those whom he called, those whom he justified, and those whom he glorified. This morning, church, we serve a God of infinite love. He loves us, and we may make mistakes. We may do something wrong. But you know what? It doesn't stop God loving us. It stops God's blessing maybe in our lives if we don't deal with it. But it doesn't stop God loving us. Just sharing with the folks in Glen McIntyre House this morning. And it's maybe a simple way to look at it. But I told them about Jean telling one of our daughters, I'm not saying which one because they all watch this. Don't take a biscuit, you're going to get your dinner. And she caught her trying to get a biscuit. Now, Jean didn't like what she did, but it didn't mean she stopped loving her. And Jean knew if she didn't put the biscuit tin away, she'd wait till her back's turned and she would take a biscuit anyway. So she knew she had the, the, the capability to be a sin or to, to sin or to do or not do what mommy asked her. But it doesn't mean Jean doesn't love her. It doesn't mean that Jean has cast her out. How much more, folks, does God love us? It saddens him if we do wrong and if we don't see it as wrong, by the way. But if we repent, he will forgive us. Why? Because he loves us. He loves us despite our feelings. He loves us despite our faults. He wants to pick us up. He wants to, to, to let us know his strength. We read the closing verses of Romans 8. It says, I am persuaded. It's nothing could change Paul's mind beyond any shadow of a doubt. A fact for Paul was that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, things present, things to come, height, depth, any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, look at this, us. That means us all. Those whom he loved, those whom he called, those whom he justified, and those whom he glorified. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God. This is the good news we have this morning. There'll never be a moment in history or in the future when God will cease to love us. When God will cease to love us. We as, uh, as human beings, we can love someone and then if they do us wrong or we think they do us wrong, we can more or less stop loving them. But you know something? That's not God. God loves us. God loves us. Even those that have backslidden and want nothing to do with them anymore. Do you know something? God still loves you. And he's like the prodigal's father, standing, waiting with open arms to receive you back. Why? Because he loves you. Does he love what you're doing? No. Does he love the life you're living? No. But he loves you, and he wants you to come unto him. 
Paul was persuaded not even death can separate us from God's love. Not even death can separate us from the God who loves us. Do you remember that beautiful hymn? In peace let me resign my breath. Let my salvation see. My sins deserved eternal death, but Jesus died for me. What a savior we serve. Death nor life cannot separate us from the love of God. Life with all its problems, life with all its perplexities, life with all its difficulties, life with all its disappointments, life with all its trials, life with all its temptations, life with all its tears and storms cannot separate us from the love of God and Christ. Nothing can separate us. No matter how much you feel that you've failed or let God down, Nothing can separate you from the Lord. Think from the aspect of being a parent and how much you love your children, no matter what they've done. Remember someone telling me that uh, his dad, uh, he loved his son so much. He said that if he became a mass murderer, he would blame all the people he killed. You know, that's ridiculous love. That's not the love that God loves us with. But the love that God loves us with is that he doesn't condone our sins. He condemns our sins. But he doesn't condemn us if we turn to him and seek forgiveness. All we need to do is turn to him with a genuine heart and seek forgiveness for what we have done, what we have said. You're not a failure in God's eyes. Failure is an event. It's not a person. You're not a failure in God's eyes. You've made mistakes. Well, what did he say to Peter? When he asked them, or when Peter asked, how many times shall we forgive someone? And Peter said, seven times. And apparently the Jewish tradition was that you were to forgive someone three times, and then you were to report them on to the elders or report them on to someone else. And so commentators say that what Peter was doing was trying to be big by saying, well, I'll double it, and I'll put in one free, and that's seven times. But Jesus said 70 times seven. And he wasn't saying you forgive somebody 490 times. He said you forgive someone who truly seeks forgiveness. And God forgives us no matter how many times we let him down. That's the infinite love of God. It's not a license to sin, God's love. But it's a license to seek forgiveness and to turn from your ways. No matter what you've done, Paul said, I am persuaded that nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God. Even principalities and powers and, and angels, even the array of Satan's army, nothing can set us, uh, separate us from God. The worst onslaught from the devil cannot separate you from the love of God. You will not be destroyed if you trust in him. The Lord will stand with you. The Lord will not abandon you. Don't listen to Satan's lie that God doesn't love you anymore because you do this, because you do that. Just praying with a gentleman this morning who has a sin problem, and he just can't stop it. And he says, God can't love me. He couldn't accept God loved him. And I said to him, you can seek strength for your problem, and God will give you strength. You can seek help for your problem, and you'll receive help. God wants you to turn to him. And that's so true, folks. We can there are people and they have such a problem with whatever it is their sin is that they think they can't shake it and they think therefore God doesn't love them. Seek God's help. Seek God's strength and he will see you through. I know drug addicts who have turned from drugs and have only been able to do it because they sought the strength of the Lord. Alcoholics who have given up alcohol 
couldn't do it, went through all the programs, the AA, everything, the 12 steps, the five steps, couldn't shake it, but give their hearts to the Lord, and they're no longer alcoholics. It was a battle, but God strengthened them, and they got through it. Nothing can separate you from God's love. Even if you've backslidden, as I've said, God still loves you. He loves you just as much as he did when you first called on his names, on his name. For mankind, the future is filled with uncertainty. But you know something? Because of God's love, our future is certain. Our future is certain. We have eternal life, and we will stand before God, who is the righteous judge, and we will be redeemed, set free, and forgiven. Again, read what Paul says. Go home and read it yourself. God's love, nothing can separate God's love from you. Go through them all, height, death, principalities, powers, any other creatures, nothing can separate you. Church this morning, listen to the amazing truth. Read it for yourself. The gospel truth this morning is that God loves you. Despite who you are, despite where you've come from, despite what you've done in the past, despite the fact that you will maybe fail him tomorrow, you'll maybe fail him next week, you'll maybe fail him next month, God still loves you. God does not want to condemn you. He wants to restore you. God's love is infinite, church. Don't compare God's love with man's love. I heard two gentlemen speaking in church one night, in a church one night, not here, and they were comparing the love of God with the love of man. And I had to say to them, look, you're thinking like men. You can't think like men when you talk about God because God's love is beyond human reasoning. God's love is beyond human understanding. God's love, the world will look at people that maybe have done terrible things in their lives and turn to the Lord. And the world still want to condemn them. Oh, but look at he done. Look at he done. He did this. She did that. But when God looks at you, the love which he gives to you sets you free, redeems you, and you are no longer under the penalty of sin You may pass away and enter your sleep, but that even won't separate you from the love of God because God will return one day and he will call us and we will stand in eternity with him, worshiping and praising his wonderful name. So church this morning, I just hope and pray that you do understand God loves you. Nobody else might like you, but sure, who cares? God loves you. Amen. God loves you. And God wants to bless you. Let's stand in his presence.